I've got a deep dive on Christian Brown and can he really fill in the gaps left by Bruce Brown this summer? Plus, I found something kind of interesting with the Suns and the Nuggets, an interesting kind of comparison of why it is that Denver's really is maybe a step above the Suns, even after adding Bradley Beal and some news and notes, including the league is cracking down on rest, what that means for the Nuggets and more. This is Locked on Nuggets. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for joining us and making us your first listen. Appreciate you guys being with us on whatever platform you've chosen, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us those five-star reviews if you are. Spotify, or if you're catching this on YouTube, where you can catch a live version of the show, just go to youtube.com slash locked on nuggets, hit the subscribe button, turn on notifications, and you can join the live show and join folks like Marion and Josh and Snail and Tommy and Hurricane, who asked, by the way, so we didn't get a show last week. Everything okay? Um, you got one show. We did the, the Sunday night uh world's finest. Adam and I both got got hung up with things. Uh, and quite frankly, like I spent like I am I am um an idea machine where I can come up with ideas all the time for stuff to talk about. And I have hit a new low in my career for trying to come up with stuff to talk about, but spent the weekend. I dug deep. I did film work and I'm here today to talk about some stuff with the nuggets with you, including there's been some discussion of Christian Brown and the idea that he can fill in all these different things for uh, Bruce Brown. There are some things I think that he can, we're going to talk a little bit about what those things are and what they're not on the first segment. Second segment, uh, I did find something when I was doing some numbers, working on a piece on the Suns for the Action Network that was kind of interesting to me, and it kind of showcases a key differential in how Denver and Phoenix are similar, but how Denver is so much better adapted, especially for playoff basketball. In the final segment, we'll talk a little bit about some news and notes around the league, including a new league memorandum on stars and rest management, what that means for Denver, as well as some news that Harrison Wynn broke over on the DMVR show, which, by the way, just got wrapped up before we went on here. So if you're on that stream, I appreciate you guys popping over and joining us on this one. I did wait this time to make sure that you guys were able to watch the end of DMVR and not have to choose between us like Sophie's Choice. Today's episode is brought to you by Ibotta. Make sure to check out Ibotta.com. We'll be on more on that later. Let's start today with Christian Brown. So last night I went through and I watched every single offensive possession of Christian Brown and most of his defensive possessions. I went back and watched a deep dive um, of Christian Brown, just going through all of the details, taking notes, making little, little notations on everything, catching all the details, uh, how he drives, how he moves, how he looks, all those types of things from the regular season and postseason, which there is a notable difference between the two. It should be kind of noted that you really can't kind of um, take the, the, the an overall approach with Christian because he was so different in the playoffs, in part because of how teams specifically schemed against Nicola in the minutes that he was on the floor, especially the Heat, who obviously uh, really tried to focus in on Jokic and Brown made them play with all those plays that he made throughout it. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about Christian's role and how Christian can kind of fill in. And Christian obviously endeared himself to Nuggets fans very early. And it was, there wasn't anybody I can remember in the Nuggets media core that was like out on Christian. It was pretty much just like, 
entirely everybody was like oh yeah he's gonna be good you know and he was impressive really from the early get-go in how prepared he was that's the the thing that i i can't stop crediting christian enough for is that these guys are so young when they come in as rookies and this is such a man's game and it is very much an like you have to adapt to nba i talk about this all the time about how the nba is not necessarily basketball it's the nba uh christian was very much prepared and he had the right attitude of you can't be sheepish and intimidated because then it's a lamb among wolves they will they sense that fear right and and guys will pick on it whether in the locker room or on the floor for opponents and christian never had that like he was extremely confident the entire way you know i asked him about like what did it feel like to kind of get those minutes and be on the floor. And he was like, honestly, I'm, I'm ready for this. I made for this. Like I prepared for this. And it wasn't, there are guys when it's a false bravado and it wasn't, it was just like, it's confidence. And most guys in the NBA are extremely confident bordering on arrogant because they're the best players in the world and they get paid millions to do so. Like you need that in order to survive. Um, I'm somebody that kind of always, because of a Midwestern upbringing kind of balks a lot of that. But there are guys that have brought too much humility and they do get eaten alive. You have to have a little bit of that most times in order to survive. And Christian had that from the very beginning. So that's like a mentality standpoint. I think going into year two, the key is really going to be for him to visualize where his career is going now. Like he's established himself as a role player. Christian was the seventh guy on a championship team. That's who he was. Like Christian Brown was the seventh or eighth guy on a championship team. He has proven that he is NBA certified. He's a rotation guy. So where does he go from here? I think for a lot of that, it's going to have to be visualization of what he wants for his career. There are some guys that come into the league and their second year, they say like, okay, I sacrificed then, but now that I've got my spot, I want to start working on getting paid. And they wind up, I think, making some some pretty poor decisions sometimes by gearing their game too much towards offense. I don't have any worry about that with Christian Brown. He has, a, I think, a high IQ awareness of where he needs to fit in on the floor. I think he knows why he was drafted. I think he knows why he played last year. I think he knows what his ultimate role is in the NBA. You know, Christian Brown's not being relied upon to give be given the ball and run, pick, and roll 100 times. He's not Luka Doncic, right? He's a role player. He understands his job is to make threes, spot up, drive in transition, and defend at a high level, and he's capable of doing those things. But it is kind of going to be interesting to see where he expands his game because you always do want to be expanding outward as well as refining those skills. There is kind of this question that I think a lot of young players run into, which is do you get really good at the things that you have proven you can do in the NBA or do you try and expand in as many directions as possible? Because if you can expand in as many directions as possible, it's going to increase your earning capacity. But focusing on those individual skills that you know translate, that will ensure your longevity. So one kind of gears towards how much money you'll make per year the other one gears to how many years you'll play in the league again i don't really worry about christian because i think he's got the right mindset and has always kind of revealed that but it'll be interesting to see what he decides he needs to improve upon this year when i went back and i looked at a lot of what christian did last season a couple things stood out which is the number one thing christian has i think a good mindset and ability to pass physically he's got good mechanics in terms of when he passes where the ball lands they don't wildly swing somewhere out of control right he's got good placement the problem really is that because of his inexperience he does wind up getting a little tunnel vision especially in transition where there are sequences that you can go back and kind of watch where christian will have an opportunity driving to the rim and he'll have a dump off option to jeff green or even deandre jordan in some situations or 
you know, Aaron Gordon, MPJ, et cetera. And instead he kind of tries to take on the defender one-on-one, even if it's a, if it's a super athletic guy. And while Christian is obviously really athletic and there are plays where you can see defenders caught off guard by his burst and his ability to get to the rim for dunks like that stands out on film. But the other thing is that he does sometimes try and attack to a point of he's hanging in the air. He's pulling it back. It's a double pump trying to get it over a guy and it wildly misses or sometimes just kind of nearly misses. Um, understanding, I think a little bit more of, of the transition thing. And, and some of that's probably, I would imagine is coaching is that they caught it. They taught him attack, 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 because if you are attacking in the NBA, you are usually, especially in transition, you're usually doing the right thing. Uh, you Point guards, I think, have a little bit bigger responsibility to understand floor balance and whether or not they need to press or pull back. But if you're a wing and you're on the attack, especially with a player like Christian Brown, especially in those bench minutes, I think it's absolutely authorized for them to just go 100 miles an hour and just try and make something happen at the rim. Like that, that, and there are sequences where Christian would miss it. They would get an offensive rebound and be able to put it back in. And those are key plays as well, right? You're putting pressure at the rim to draw defenders, which opens up an area on the backside for a putback. So there's opportunities there. I do think, though, that there has to be some better or either he's going to have to uh, get quicker, faster, which is entirely possible because he's still, you know, working under strength and conditioning training in an NBA level to finish those better work on his finishing ability, which I think is good still. But I think it's also a matter of understanding when to sometimes, quite honestly, you've got to be ready to be like, oh, nope, this isn't working and kick it back out. Like there are options. There are times where he has guys behind him and those are tough passes to make. I want to for an NBA player, let alone a, a normal human being. Um, so I do think that there are opportunities there for him to maybe not burn as many possessions because while you want an aggressiveness in transition, those are also high leverage opportunities. You don't want to waste a transition opportunity. Um, you're essentially giving the giving you're putting your defense. Think of it like time of possession in football or American football, I should note, um, where if you go three and out, all of a sudden your defense has to go back on the field. There's a similar kind of element there where if you come down and you waste a transition opportunity, not only is the floor imbalance that they kick it ahead, they get the rebound, but also you've just wasted an opportunity for, you know, to maybe settle down a little bit. And now you're back on the defense again. Um, Spot up shooting. I thought was kind of interesting when I, when I looked at Christian, Um, there's nothing like I'm not, I'll say this. It's not a strength of mine in terms of analysis of understanding shot quality. Uh, The mechanics for Christian look totally good to me. There's nothing about his shot that looks poor. If anything, it kind of reminds me of a lot of shots I've seen from rookies that uh, it's a little, how can I put this? He's got soft touch on his three pointer. And as time goes on, that probably increases and gets a little bit better again, as the strength and conditioning kicks in. And that's when those shots start to fall a little bit more because you do get tired a little bit more playing at this level than in college. And I do think that he'll probably shoot a better percentage from three this season than he did last season. It should be noted the last season uh, on catch and shoot jumpers, he shot 34%, which is a not great. Okay not good even below good but not terrible percentage on catch and shoot but here's the interesting split is he shot 21 percent on guarded shots which oftentimes if you'll remember those are 9-11 shots i'm sorry for using that phrase today on september 11th those are emergency shots um where the clock's running out and you have to be able to put up a shot um the phrase 911 is often used because you're calling emergency in a shot situation uh unguarded jumpers however christian shot 39 percent 
on those jumpers on those threes. And that's a really good percentage. Again, it's not elite. You're looking at 42, 43% for the really good catch and shoot guys, but there's enough there to kind of suggest that Christian can get better in those key areas. Finally, the other thing I would kind of say about Christian's game that I think is um, pretty, pretty notable here is the on ball stuff needs, I think a lot of work. Uh, he hits some mid range jumpers coming off of uh, handoffs from Nicola, but he did look a little, always looked a little awkward in trying to get the footwork down it was notable that it wasn't the same as say a Contavious Caldwell Pope. So having another year to do those reps, I think is going to be really important. If he can work in that regard, there's a lot that he can bring to the table, but I don't necessarily think that you can count on Christian Brown to be a ball handler shot creator, the way that it's kind of been projected that he can be as a fill in for Bruce. I personally have still have a lot of skepticism. I could be wrong. Maybe Christian comes into camp and it's like, Oh man, he really improved his handle and his pick and roll. And he's got like really good feel for the floor, but not only do I not think that that's going to be a strength of his, I don't think it needs to be. I don't think the Nuggets necessarily are going to need that with this roster. What I do think is they do need wings that can come off of a DHO and be able to make those sequences. Um, another kind of way to think of it is they need somebody a little bit closer to Gary Harris than they do, Bar- they, than they do Bruce Brown. Bruce is perfect last year, and he did a lot for them, and they'll miss him. But to make it work and for Christian to really make the most of himself, I think it's closer to, to a much, much, much taller Gary Harris than maybe it is to a Bruce Brown. On the other side, I want to talk about. I found something when I was looking at some numbers that I think is really interesting to look at from last season about the identity of the Suns and the Nuggets. And it illustrates a key differential in how the two teams play and why Denver has such a stronger approach that the Suns are going to have to catch up on as maybe the prime competitor for the Western Conference title next season. I'll talk about that on the other side on Locked on Nuggets. First, I need to tell you about Ibotta. It's a... <clears throat> are you picking up burgers and hot dogs for that summer barbecue? Well, you know you're already doing it, so why not get cash back for it with Ibotta? Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop, and you get your cash back. It's just that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 back per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much, but with Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. And you can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. Back here on Lockdown Nuggets, thanks for joining us and making this part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us. Uh, also appreciate you joining me. If you join the DMVR live show, uh, Adam will be back with me tonight. We're recording on Monday night, so there'll be another live show this afternoon, and we'll put the pod up tomorrow on Tuesday. So World's Fine is coming at you tonight. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about in the third segment, but we'll dive into a little bit more on tonight's show. Also make sure to check out the Serbian Corner where, man, they had an all-star lineup the other day. It was Miroslav and Zamora and Wade. Like It was a it was a Nuggets Twitter absolute all-star lineup, so make sure to go check out the Serbian corner over at DMVR as well. I uh, want to let you know about this thing I found with the Suns and the Nuggets. So let's talk a little bit about um, 
three-point rate. Okay. This sounds like a boring topic, but it's pretty important when we talk about the modern NBA. Uh, teams will find themselves in what I've kind of come to term as the math problem. And Zach Harper and I used to talk about this on, um, on a, a podcast we used to host at CBS all the time. And the problem is, if you are not taking enough threes, it doesn't really matter how efficient your offense is. You're not going to really be able to generate enough to be able to keep up. And that can be a real problem. And so three-point rate does wind up mattering. You can have a really efficient offense, but if you're not generating enough points off of it per possession, it doesn't really matter. So even if you're shooting a high percentage, you're not creating enough points per possession. And this is kind of notable, I think, when we look at the Suns and the Nuggets. So last season, per 100 possessions, the Suns actually ranked 16th in three-point attempts per 100 possessions. And the Nuggets were all the way down at 24th. That's even pace adjusted when the Nuggets play at such a slow pace. Now, three-pointers made per 100 possessions, which obviously is a little bit different, you know, and accounts for your efficiency. The Suns were 13th and the Nuggets were 15th. So the Nuggets were actually behind in this category in both areas. And then we saw in the playoffs that with Kevin Durant in particular, the Suns were really kind of up against it because they were trying to beat Denver with mid-range jump shots while the Nuggets were either bombing from three or scoring inside with Nicole and Jamal in the two-man game. And this does kind of, I think, speak to a key differential here, which is the Nuggets are able to be so flexible as to adapt their offense for what the situation calls for. They're able to punish whatever defensive scheme that you put out there. If you are going to put an emphasis on guarding the perimeter, they're going to hurt you on the inside. And if you load up and are like, we're not going to let you get layups, then they do have shooters. And obviously they put up insane shooting numbers, which by the way, are pretty likely to regress this season. The Suns are interesting in that they operate so much in the mid range. Like they are extremely mid range, heavy roster because of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker and their confidence and their ISO play. Those shots are always inherently less efficient, but the Suns do it so well. They still manage to be a hyper efficient group. Like this offense is still going to cook. What's interesting is that they just hired Frank Vogel and Vogel doesn't necessarily fix their lack of three pointers. Vogel actually every single season of his career since 2014, 14, 15, rather when I kind of count the start of the modern three point era, that's when the Warriors won their first title. And when the Rockets with Harden really started bombing since that season, every single year that Vogel has coached, his team has allowed more three point makes than his team has made on average per hundred possessions. That's a really key stat here because it, what it means for the Suns is that even though they've kind of revamped this roster and even though they have so much star talent, they're still likely to have the same kind of issue of they're going to be taking a lot of mid-range shots and they're going to shoot them really effectively. But they don't have necessarily a second option to go to unless Frank Vogel's able to get to Aiden and they find something really powerful with either Booker and Aiden or Beal and Aiden if some sort of combo shifts. And it doesn't necessarily appear that way. You just kind of have to bake in a steady diet in mid-range shots for Booker, Beal, and KD. And that kind of adherence to playing one style, one identity is really tough. One of the most impressive things I think about the Nuggets championship run was how they were able to manage playing differently in every series. They played very differently versus the Wolves than they did versus Phoenix, than they did versus the Lakers, than they did versus the Heat. They played different styles, both offensively and defensively in those things. And we've talked on here for years. We've talked about the importance of solving playoff problems being the most important thing, usually in a defensive standpoint. But offensively, I think that there's actually like a lot to be said here too. Um, they're likely to be 
this season, I think there's a capacity for the Nuggets to be actually better offensively. That's crazy considering what they've done and Jokic's numbers and all of that. But bear in mind, the Nuggets last season were not a dominant team when we look at like half-court scoring. So much of what they did was in transition, and so much of that was based off of how they defended at home. When we look at actually points per possession last year, just in the half court in the regular season, um, Denver wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but they were eighth. That's a little bit low compared to what I would have expected. Now, I think some of that has to do, obviously, you're going to say with the bench and you're absolutely right. But maybe that's kind of the point here is that with a different set of personnel and with different stagger rotations, it's likely that the Nuggets offense might be a little bit better. Now they lose a ball handler again in Bruce Brown, but you know, Bruce is, I don't think point guard mechanics were necessarily all that dominant. I think there's probably something to be said for what Bruce did in transition. So the question here, I think is that can Denver be more efficient in the half court while being maybe a little less efficient in transition, though they're always going to be really good there because they have great shooters and they have such good athletes with both MPJ and Aaron Gordon and quite honestly, Jamal and KCP, who's really good at running the floor and Christian Brown. And now they add Peyton Watson, who obviously look to capitalize there as well. I'm not worried about the transition offense, I think is kind of what I'm getting at here. But I do think that there's an opportunity for the Nuggets to be better offensively in the half court. Even if the shooting goes down, their execution might go up. And it's one of the reasons why, um, for as down as I am on the Nuggets regular season projections, and I am, like I'm going to be lower on the Nuggets than almost anybody else you're going to hear. And that's not by design. I promise you it's based off of, I've looked at numbers, I've done the analysis and I value what Bruce brought to the floor that much. And I have a lot of concerns about the injury factor as well as I've mentioned the motivation, but the playoffs, I'm still extremely high because if we look at it, the Suns are still kind of stuck where they don't necessarily, they do one thing, but the one thing is not threes and layups like Maury ball. It's the inverse of that. And that's hard to sustain. And I think if we get into a series versus Denver, that Phoenix is going to have the same kind of problem where Denver has so many ways it can hurt you. And Phoenix is kind of limited in what it can. On the other side, I got some news and notes I want to talk about, including a new memo from the NBA regarding player rest, as well as uh, some news from Harrison Wynn regarding the Nuggets coaching staff. We'll talk about that on the other side when we return on Lockdown Nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for joining us and making us part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us on a Monday. Uh, Adam Mars will be with me for World's Finest tonight, Monday night, sometime after between 9.30 and 10 is when I would say we'll probably get started. So make sure to tune in for that. Turn on notifications on YouTube. Just got to subscribe. Turn on notifications. You can join the show and catch it when we come out. So a couple of news and notes for you. Uh, the NBA is reportedly considering a new change to the rules regarding load management. This is per uh, Sham Strania of The Athletic, who reports they're expected to vote this week on a new policy that a team is unable to rest two star players in the same game, sources tell The Athletic. Uh, current discussions among team and league personnel, a star is defined by someone who made an all-star or all-NBA team in the past three seasons. So obviously the league is, has kind of focused in on this a lot over the last couple of years because, well, quite frankly, it's embarrassing for them when it's like, hey, here's a really great game. No one's playing. No one's playing. Are they hurt? No, they're not hurt. They're just not playing. Woj also reported uh, a similar thing, but it would be for resting players for national TV games 
and multiple stars together in the same games. Uh, under the new rules, teams will be fined 100000 for the first violation, 250000 for a second violation, and a million more than the previous penalty for each additional violation. Wow. Uh, that's a lot for them to fine, and the owners will definitely kind of make, I think, a big noise up on it. Zamora says the obvious thing everyone's kind of saying, which is can't they just make up an injury? Yes. So... If you say a guy's got got uh, a knee injury, that's one thing. A lot of this about the league is about optics, is that the league players have teams have more and more gone to being brutally honest about some of the stuff. That's why you've seen the tampering stuff where teams are like, yeah, whatever, you're not going to do anything. So why do we care? Right. Similarly, they've gone to. Yeah, no, he's just out like we just got to we're just going to arrest him tonight. And part, I think, because the teams are kind of like, why are you making us lo- like you made the schedule? You, you put us on a, a third and four nights in Denver in the altitude. I didn't make that decision. You did. So, yeah, we're arresting him. Maybe next time don't schedule it that way. I genuinely th- think that's part of the issue here. Is that the league has, as a whole teams, has such a, a, a problem with how the league is scheduled the games, not just the number of games or those kind of things, but the, the travel that's been involved, the way the schedule has been, has been put together the last couple of seasons has prompted a very laissez faire kind of, what are you going to do about it approach? And you see some of this across other areas as well, like the crediting of agencies when news breaks about free agencies, that's a lot of that too, which is like, it used to be like kind of frowned upon. And now the agents are like, what are you going to do? And the answer is nothing. So why not do this? Why not get credit for it? As such, um, the way that this would... Nicole is the only player that this hurts because Jamal hasn't been all-star or all-NBA. Aaron Gordon didn't make all-star or all-NBA. So there's no real concern here about those guys making it. So as it stands, the only guy that would kind of suffer from this is Nicola. You can still probably get away with he's got a um, knee injury and that's, you know, he's got... What I will say is probably they will, they might stipulate that this will also include listing guys out with soreness. You're going to probably have to like actually give them a tendonitis or um, some sort of advanced term that I'm not a doctor enough to know. So that will probably be a case of it. What I will say is that I do think that in general, there will be fewer games on national TV where we see this this year. I think there is an awareness. This is based off of some of the conversations I had at Summer League. Like the MBPA is not thrilled with the conversation about them either. And you kind of started to hear this. With, there were comments from Ant about this. There was comments from other people about this, about, hey, we should play. Like the job is to play. The players have shown frustration because they're like, I got a training staff telling me that if I don't take a game off, I might miss a year with an injury. What am I supposed to do there? Or I got a training staff that won't stop bugging me about I need to take a game off. There are guys I think that the team is doing a lot to try and disincentivize that. So in part, what the league is doing here is the league is putting a lot of pressure on the training staff to be like, you better have a reason to sit these guys. And that's got to be frustrating for the training staff because the training staff's like, guess who gets fired if the star player tears an ACL? Not in the Nuggets case. Not that they should. I'm just saying, in general, like, guess who looks gets looked down on when guys suffer these injuries? It's the training staff. 
right? Like what's going on with this training staff? New Orleans is a good example of this. Um, at the same time, I do think that there will probably be a collective. All right. We gotta, we gotta make this look better. We can, we can take the night off versus Orlando on the first night of the back-to-back, but we better play in Miami on that second one. And that is a big change because I've talked about this before. The Spurs were the first team I saw start this, and I'm sure the other teams did it before too. But the path has always been you take the easy win. So if you get the Magic and the Heat back-to-back, and I think the Magic will be decent this year. I've got them for 39 wins. But if you're looking at, the heat, at a Magic Heat back-to-back on the road, the path before would have been like you play versus Orlando, you kill them, take the easy win, and then you rest versus a game that's essentially a coin flip. So this is going to change a little bit where I think now it's going to be, all right, we're going to rest them versus the team where we've got a lower or a higher percentage chance to win without our guy because we got to play him in the big star game. And that's good for competition. It also might mean a little bit of wonkiness as we go along in terms of there might be a little bit more upset potential. It'll be interesting to see how that works. It might add a few more wins. I haven't looked at the schedule. It might add a few more wins for a lot of teams that play those games before the team, the opponent has a back-to-back on the national TV. A team like the Wolves is probably one I would look at. The Thunder would probably be another one that I would look at. So I would take a look at those as well. One other piece of news, uh, I was listening to the DMVR show and uh, Harrison Wynn reported this with a wind chime that all of Michael Malone's coaching staff will be back this season. So make sure to go follow Harrison Wynn on Twitter um, and for more of his wind chimes and check out the DMVR show. I am again crediting this as much as I possibly can. And I thank Wynn for breaking that on the show. Uh, I think it's not surprising because most of those moves have already been made, but it's notable. You know, you get that continuity. Everybody's coming back. So this is definitely going to feel like a like a, a continuation of last year, which I think is what the Nuggets want. If they're able to replicate how it felt last year, even without Bruce, that's a really good sign. The counter argument to this is you might get to June and be like, okay, it's getting a little stale. Because one of the reasons that you change up assistance is not just to bring in new ideas, but you just bring in new faces, new voices, and it changes the dynamic, whether it's the co- the, the head coach becomes a little bit more lenient and the assistants are a little bit tougher or vice versa. Uh, I can't imagine Malone ever being lenient. I can't imagine him being the good guy. I can't can't imagine that. But he's both the good guy and the bad guy. Um, Torgs asks here, Torgs asks, are we going to start to see Malone's coaching tree expand soon? You know, Adelman interviewed. I would imagine that Adelman probably gets looked at again next year, depending on the success of the Nuggets. Um, I didn't really hear much about him before this year, but they definitely got a ton of credit for the run this year. He's just gotten, he's, his stock has risen in an incredible amount. Um, so far, I don't know that Saunders is, I think there's, there's an, usually when guys have a, a run, like the wolves run, it takes them a little bit while you gotta get far enough away from it to have another chance. Dwayne Casey had that kind of situation happen with the wolves too, actually, before he got the job in Toronto following his time with Dallas. So you kind of get, get some distance from it. Um, Popeye Jones, I haven't really heard anything about, but I think you'll hear more and more. I mean, look, you know, Jordy spent a lot of time here and he's obviously going to get looked at. So you, I think you will see some slow expansion of the coaching staff, but I'm not sure that it's going to be like a rapid expansion of it um, as it goes along. Um, oh, George also asked on the uh, rest question, how will this impact MB not playing in Denver? Yeah. Good question. By the way, uh, your Philadelphia 76ers are going to be holding training camp in Fort Collins. So that's fun. Uh, I just can't imagine I'm, try, I'm trying to imagine if Harden shows up and is just hanging out on an old town, just 
chilling out down there. Uh, maybe go to that good burger place down there. Uh, all right. Let's get wrap it up for Locked and Nuggets for a Monday. We'll be back tonight, Monday night, with a show for Tuesday. World's Finest with Adam Mars. Hope you guys have yourselves a great day. We'll see you guys again next time on Locked on Nuggets.